Having abandoned her husband and son, one woman lives life one train ride at a time with her beautiful beau and new baby girl. But her decision to risk it all for love isn't without consequences. Will following her heart lead this woman to peace, misery, or the greatest happiness? The woman's name, Anna. The book, Anna Karenina. And you're listening to Lit Society. Let's get lit! to Lit Society, a show about books and drama. And you're listening to part two of our Anna Karenina coverage. Yeah, Alexis, how you yeah. doing? Uh, I'm doing all right. I'm a little hot right now, but I'm Are doing you? all right. <laughs> Did you put your AC in? You got that in-window in unit. Yeah, I do. But it's, um, I turned it off. So I'm in the back of that apartment. So it's warmer back here. Yeah. Well, every hot day we have, every true summer-like day, I just get angrier and angrier at Corona for oh. taking my life, oh. <laughs> all my rooftop experiences. In fact, I texted you yesterday. We had a um, girls' night where we went from one place, yep. one place to yep. another. Uber, you know, to like five different places. Man, I don't yep. think we'll ever be able to do that again. That was last January, and <laughs> I brought it up on this show, and you tried to deny our night out, but it was fun. <laughs> I had well, fun, well, and I don't know if it'll ever happen again. It will. Things yeah. will be different. Yeah, we'll see. What are you going to do? Things will be different. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So how do you feel after finishing Anna Karenina? Do you feel superior to everyone you've ever known? Do you start conversations <laughs> with, hi, my name is Alexis, and I finished Anna Karenina. What's uh, your no. name? <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. But it was a monstrous task, to be sure. Yeah. To be sure. A lot of words. Yeah. I should be able to put that somewhere. Can I record a word count? <laughs> you know, well, good reads, you know, <laughs> you can brag about it over there. Well, <laughs> but they really care, will they? Nope. <laughs> well, readers, as you know, each week we choose a theme to discuss based on the book we're reading. And this week, the theme that I've chosen is the benefits of a midlife crisis. Oh, benefits. Okay. Sl- slash the power of the middle. And I'll explain. Please, please. So, um, what's a midlife crisis, Alexis? Do you know what it is? When you're Although you the- are very far from that point in your life. <laughs> Whatever. I am on that door. <laughs> I think I'm in that stage in my life, in fact. <laughs> well, then what is it, girl? Tell us. I have no idea. <laughs> I guess you tend people. I've always heard that you tend to have a breakdown. You do things that are typically not yourself, like a man may go out and buy a sports car to um that's a typical uh, feel more manly. Anecdote. Yeah. Uh, uh, I don't know what women do. Do they have adultery? No, nah, we were perfect. So a midlife <laughs> crisis <laughs> is a crisis of self-identity and self-confidence that can happen around mid-age. Now, if you're very far from mid-age, stick with us because we're going to apply it to everybody. So uh, the midlife crisis specifically, though, includes maybe general apathy and unwillingness to help others or seek help. Man, I've been having a midlife crisis since I was 16. Oh, wait, I'm going to say, I think I'm going through that right now. (laughs) It might include making impulsive decisions such as divorce, quitting your job. Um, On a dark note, most who take their life do so around middle age. It can Mm. also include confusion about one's worth or beliefs. And this is really some of the themes that we're seeing uh, in the book. But the middle, you guys, can be an amazing moment when we look at it as a new begin beginning. 
Um, so this theory that the middle is full of promise applies to all middles. It applies to middle children who Alexis thinks she is, but she I is am not. I am a middle child. Um, it applies to the middle of a work day, <laughs> the middle of a project, the middle of a running race, the middle of a weight loss goal. So that's what I want to focus on, this positive power locked inside of the middle, or at least knowing that the middle exists. Let me explain. Please. So I'm a marketer and I attended this marketing convention where an author by the name of Daniel Pink um, spoke. He was the keynote speaker and his book is entitled When the Scientific Secrets of Perfect Timing. And I want to share Ooh. some notes from that book that I've um, found useful. So a little backstory. In 2011, two Cornell researchers uh, began an unusual project. They gathered about 500 million tweets that have been posted by more than two million users in Good 84 great. countries. Wow. OK, so they wanted they wanted this information to be varied. Um, then they subjected these tweets to careful analysis. The pair wanted to measure how people's feelings and emotional states varied from morning until night. And these researchers found a remarkable consistency. Sorry about my accent. I've had a glass of rosé. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> the findings, regardless of the time of year, people's positive emotions rose in strength as the morning progressed and then fell significantly in the afternoon before climbing back in the evening. So there's like this um, peak, a trough and then a rebound. So knowing that this happens, that, you know, there's this productivity and excitement around beginnings. I'll apply it to debut authors or um, artists, recording artists who released debut works, there's all this buzz and talk and anticipation about the first. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then the second comes and no one really talks about it, even if right. it's good. Hi, Daily. Hi, Gallant. Anyway, those are recording <laughs> artists. Check them out. They're really good, you guys. Um, and then in the middle, there's this trough or this valley. But then at the end of it, there's this rebound. So knowing that this exists, knowing that there is this power in a beginning, middle and end, how can we use it? Well, um, we can use the middle in our favor. Specifically, people are happier or more alert in the morning. Typically, note one note. If you're a night person, your peak may actually be in the evening and not morning. But generally, the what morning if you don't is, peak at all. <laughs> you know what? If you don't feel like any part of the day is your optimal time, create those times for yourself. And okay. we'll get into that also. Create okay. those uh, optimal times for yourself. But specifically with the morning, handle analytical tasks in the morning. Work out in the morning to tap into your best self and push harder. Visit the doctor in the morning, not the afternoon, because studies show errors occur increasingly in the afternoon. And then in the afternoon, save that space for admin tasks, tasks where you don't really have to think too much. So if mm -hmm. you're a marketer and you schedule like uh, digital content, you do that in the afternoon. That doesn't take much thought. Um, teams slightly behind at halftime during a basketball game tend to win. <laughs> and those slightly ahead at halftime tend to slack off. There's a key takeaway here. Be aware of midpoints in a project and campaign really with anything you do and use it. Use the midpoint as like an alarm clock, not as a snooze button. Let it wake you up. And if you're not behind in a task, imagine you are. So you use the middle point as a boost. Uh, this can apply to midlife. Even if you are, uh, setting goals for yourself to reach and you found that in the middle of your life you've set you've achieved most of those goals or maybe have not use that as a, a point not to be discouraged but to be energized to really accomplish those goals because you still have a lot of time left and everything you've done you could do twice over um, in the second half anyway in the late evening and afternoon save that time for creative tasks when the brain is lucid and uninhibited this is also a good time for tasks that require insight 
and also group projects because a group project just saying group projects makes me tired (laughs) (laughs) a group project can be like uh what is that what's the expression hurting kittens anyway it can be a lot in the beginning and nothing is getting done and you're just talking and presenting problems and not solving anything in that half point use that as a time to get it all together either move on or progress or i guess that's the same thing but anyway (laughs) don't get hung up on little things so anyway um people are most likely to run their first marathon at the age of 29 can you guess why that is alexis because it's where they feel like they need to achieve so many things Yeah. And 30 is a big age. So before Mm -hmm. you reach 30, you want to have accomplished something. Mm -hmm. That ratio applies also to 39 year olds and 49 year olds. When we see the end, we push harder. So we want to feel at the end of something that there was meaning behind it. Everyday application. What happens at the end of a person's experience disproportionately affects their overall recollection of an experience. So when you're on a family vacation, when you're on a date, when you're on an outing with friends, end it well. Do whatever you can to end it well, because that's how it will be remembered for the end part. Um, People prefer bad news before the good news because people want to feel like an elevation. (laughs) After they hear the bad news. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So like, hey, everybody, you know, has died. But Popeye's has a special for dollar um, chicken sandwiches. (laughs) And then you're like, oh, Popeye's. So there you go. Create these beginning, middles and end markers in a way um, that is meaningful in your life, in my life. We need to do this because that gives us um, a reason <laughs> to, uh, it, it's a helpful tool to motivate us to achieve certain goals. Can I ask how you use it in your life? Yeah, I use it mostly for, I can think um working out this podcast and work for my job. So working out, I try to do that in the morning because Mm -hmm. having accomplished that big thing in the morning helps to energize me for the rest of the day, bit by bit. And then also I try to schedule um, breaks um, because that helps create a beginning, middle and end when you have a true break in the middle. So don't feel bad about taking your vacations. Don't feel bad about taking your lunches that can make you more productive. And then, um, One of the biggest ways I use this advice is by celebrating endings. So end of week, well, I used to when I had, you know, time uh, when I was able to go out at the end of the week, (laughs) I would make time for friends. Hmm, Okay, that's sad. Um, Vacations after stressful quarters, you know, not in the middle of quarter four for me, but at the end or right at the uh, end of the third quarter uh, helps me celebrate the accomplishments of that previous quarter or two. And then I've talked about this before. I love, I have a list of big ticket items that I want. And so I don't buy little things because I want that big thing. And so after, um, you know, paying off, you know, all your debts or a certain amount of debt, um, you know, buy that one item and don't get into debt with that item because that defeats the purpose. But you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Gotta I paid, reward yourself. Yeah. So, you, so I paid you're off motivated some bills. to keep going. Exactly. And now I can take some money I saved up for a car and buy it. Something like that. OK. Or, you know, a computer or camera. It doesn't have to be a car. Or yeah. Whatever. Very, very interesting. This is, book is called When. And yes. you've read it already. I have not read the book. That's a good question. <laughs> nope. I heard this keynote address by the author and that's a, not for me. I know but the is. book is titled <laughs> When the Scientific Secrets of Perfect Timing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> did you have any thoughts about middles? No, I, I did not. But I would like to understand this um, thought process a little more. So I might yeah. I grab that book. 
Yeah, I can tell you who really would have benefited from this. Everyone in this novel, because I feel like everyone is middle aged except for like three characters and they're right. all losing it. So <laughs> <laughs> don't do that, guys. Um, and I guess we can move on. You ready? Yep. All right, let's go. Now, Alexis, in the last episode, you told us about Count Leo Tolstoy, and you're not going to get into his background or the context around the book in this episode. We're just going to go straight to the deep dive, right? That's right. And I'm well, ready girl, for it. Shall I, I take it away? Ready. Please. The floor is yours. Okay. All right. So the last time we left off um, with our three families, there was Vronsky and Anna, and they had run off to Italy and they weren't having the best of times as their social life was limited. Anna was happy because she was with Vronsky with all her time. Vronsky wasn't happy because Anna was there all the time. (laughs) Hilarious. They decided to return to Russia and live in the country. Levin and Kitty had married and they were taking care of his sick brother and kind of waiting for him to die of tuberculosis. And Steva was still in the streets cheating on his wife and Dolly was still at home caring for the children. Steva was like more, more emboldened by her forgiveness to really be out there. It seemed like it. And like, so I don't really care. I mean, I think he did try to hide it, but he was emboldened for sure. Yeah. So in part two, I'm going to introduce you to some new characters in the Ooh. book. So let's get started. All right, so part one, Kitty, Levin, and the brother's girlfriend are caring for Levin's brother. He is so close to death, but still not dying. One evening, he is so sure that he would die, and then he doesn't die. Can I just, Levin, this was ex- described, what was you going to say how he described it? No, no, go. Everyone's pity turned into exhaustion to the point where they were like, man, I wish you died today. <laughs> I'm so sick of waiting for you to die. It, it was even insane. the brother. Yeah. Yes, Levin was at his side, and his he wanted his brother wanted him to stay, and then he asked Kitty to leave. It's like, okay, Kitty, you go because I'm about to die, and I'm just gonna be here with my brother. We're gonna <laughs> hold hands, and he wake up the next morning alive, and he is pissed. Do you hear me? He is taking it out on everyone. He is yeah. not trying to hear it. I'm like. He like, I'm alive another day. This can't yeah, be. Because he's in a lot of pain. It's mm-hmm. expected and he just won't die. Yeah. Yep. And so they're caring for him for like 10 days. And then on this 10th day, Kitty starts feeling sick. She got a headache. She's vomiting. This she is when just... I was like, oh, no, Kitty about to die. <laughs> Alexis then told us this is the only chapter with a title and the title is death. That's so right. Kitty is going to die because she the only one that ain't getting on my nerves. Right. <laughs> <laughs> she can't get out of bed. She's miserable. And the doctor tells her that her illness is from p- fatigue and worry. And he prescribed her inner peace. Okay. <laughs> doctor. Well, that evening she got up because the sick man was still sick. He's not dead. And she told him, she said, you know, I, you know, I had a long day. I was sick. And he looked at her like, um, I'm trying to die here. <laughs> Oh, I'm just so sick today. I was vomiting and I just couldn't get it out of bed. This man is dying. <laughs> he was like, my spleen fell out my foot. And what you, you, you got some nauseousness. Okay. You know, you can go back from where you came to. Exactly. Katia. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so he, he, he even looked dead, but he wasn't dead. And then another time um, he thought he was dying. He was like, not quite soon. And then he died the next day. So I'm going to tell you, I think the audio recording 
it wasn't clear to me that he was dead. <laughs> but in the book, it was clear. I was like, but did he die? Is he dead, though? Right. It's not lingered on. No, it's not. It's yeah. not at all. Nobody mourns. I think they were planning while he was dying. I felt like they were mourning while they were taking care of him. Yeah. Yep. Waiting for mm-hmm. him. Yeah. Yep. And so then we learned that Kitty's illness is pregnancy. Oh, she gonna have a baby. Yeah. She's yes, not yes. dead. Not dead. <laughs> Part two. Alexi Karenin. This is Anna's husband that she left. Remember? So oh, yeah. Alexi. We, we do. Yeah. <laughs> tried to honor his wife. Um, his wife's wishes, leaving her alone. But these feelings had left him feeling lost, left him lost. He couldn't do things for himself. He couldn't understand that despite his forgiveness, she still left. He felt alone, ashamed, needed by no one, despised by everyone. And he felt like a laughing stock. His image above all else was the thing that he wanted to protect. And it didn't help. He didn't have any friends to talk to about his grief. And so then we learn a little bit about Alexi's life. He was orphaned at 10. His closest friend was his brother. But his brother lived abroad and died after he married Anna. Alexi met Anna when he was older and Anna's aunt made the introduction. She then put him in a position that he either had to marry Anna or leave town. The business, y'all. I think I think I get the impression that he wanted to abandon this relationship with Anna. But the aunt insinuated through an acquaintance that he had already compromised the girl and that he was honor bound to propose. So he proposed and gave Anna all the feelings he was capable of giving. And as previously mentioned, he didn't have any like bros um, to kind of confide in. But then once he got into the marriage, Anna made him feel that he didn't need anybody else. And now Anna was gone and he had no friends to call during this time of grief. So I gathered that he just wasn't very in tune with his emotional side. This is a man that doesn't show a lot of feeling, whether it be romantic Mm -hmm. or otherwise. Mm -hmm. So he was like, am I supposed to marry you now? (laughs) Like, what am I supposed (laughs) to do now? I'll do that. Oh, yeah. But not because I I love you. I don't know. But either way. But but the uh, someone did make him feel like, well, now you have to marry her. And he might have compromised her just by showing her attention. Right. right, You know, so. So not only was Alexi dealing with the emotional issues suffer, um, associated with his wife leaving him, his work situation was changing and he was the only one that didn't seem to know about it. He um, before he's this great guy and he's on an upward track, but something happened and now his upward mobility has ceased and his work people was laughing at him and pointing and laughing and talking about him. Right. So his situation had changed. Um He's in his most vulnerable position. And then Countess Lydia Inanova and and Ivanova pops up. Now, she is an overrighteous Christian hypocrite and she is formerly Anna's friend. Now, Alexi, again, a humiliated by his wife's abandonment, is mad at women and in fact repulsed by them. But Countess Lydia arrives and appeals to his Christian beliefs and tells him to trust in Jesus. He shouldn't feel ashamed because his actions were motivated by Jesus. And then she pushes herself into a position for him to accept her as a friend who can help. She offers (laughs) to take care of the tasks that Anna would have cared for. Countess Lydia uh, said she would look after Seriosha. Now that is Alexi and Anna's son. And as soon as she's finished speaking to Alexi, she goes to Seriosha's room, who is, I think at this point, eight years old, and tells him, your father is a saint and your mama is dead. 
Mm. Now, how has she got the right to tell this man's child that? Yeah, well, she wants to be in Anna's position. Yeah. Yeah, she wants to be like the woman of the house and she's kind of in love with Alexi. Exactly. Countess Lydia um, offers the assistance um, because she offered this assistance and she had this conversation with him. She felt like she had converted Alexi from a lazy and indifferent believer to the new explanation of Christian doctrine. And Alexi's acceptance of this gave him this invented loftiness from which he was able to um, being despised by everyone could now despise others. So that is like something he wants to be looked up to. He liked this position of importance. And now you got people laughing at him. That was the main thing he wanted to maintain. And he lost it. Well, um, Countess Lydia's uh, infusion of um, further Christian teachings kind of helped restore that for him. So he could now look down on others again. Yeah, he could give himself some comfort. Yeah. By reasoning, well, I'm just more moral than everyone. That's why everyone's laughing at me. It's not because I let my life, my wife run to the uh, <laughs> Europe with this random man. Uh, and I'm, you know, had agreed to take care of her baby, but she left anyway. That's not why. <laughs> That's not why. <laughs> oh, okay. It's because I'm holy. It's because I'm holier than you. Mm-hmm. Part three, Countess Lydia. She, she was abandoned by her husband like two months into her marriage. But as Kari said, she is in love with Alexi and she has dreamed of what it would be like if they were both free to marry. So she really uses her time with him to be important in his eyes or be seen as special. She even um, spends more money on her clothes so that she looks good when she's in mm. front of him. <laughs> she, you know, she is really taking the time to be in and front going, of him. Jesus, Jesus, Bible. Exactly. Meanwhile, covered in this woman husband. So, you know. <laughs> exactly. Whatever. Lydia finds out that Anna is in Petersburg with Vronsky. So Countess Lydia is like, you know what? My man don't need to see her. <laughs> and I feel responsible to save him from ever even coming across paths with her. Incidentally, she receives a letter from Anna and Anna appeals to Countess Lydia's Christian sensibilities, (laughs) asking her to serve as a mediator between Alexi and her so she could see her son. Countess Lydia sends back a no reply to Anna and tells Alexi, oh, we need to talk immediately. Well, at their meeting, Alexi says, you know, it wouldn't be right for me to keep Anna away from her son. She's got that um, innate sense of motherhood. And I just don't want to take that from her. She really loves her son. Countess Lydia is like, does she really? Does she truly love her son? I don't think so. Because if she mm-hmm. did, she wouldn't have left. So is love even relevant? What would you have done? Would you allow? Now, if you think that the wife is a totally immoral person, a bad influence, whatever, would you allow the son to see, if you were in Lexi's point, um, place, would you allow the son to see the mom? So her adult behavior, I don't think has anything to do with her seeing and loving her son. Yeah. And that I don't think is, you keep kids away from their parents. Right. 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 So mm. Alexi kind of um, agrees. He he gives in. He's like, OK, well, he and he convinced and Lydia convinces Alexi that maybe she don't need to send to see her son. So Countess Lydia then sends a response to Anna saying, take this refusal in Christian love. <laughs> Shade. Anna, of course, is absolutely offended. And that's exactly what Countess Lydia intended. Anna is, however, determined to see her son. So she goes to the store and buys up a bunch of toys and then goes to her former home on Sariosha's um, birthday. 
She hides her face and is led into the home. And then the servants recognize her and they take her to Seriosha's room. They have an emotional reunion. And then the former nanny comes, who's also visiting the house, tells Anna, Alexi's coming. You got to get out of here. And she leaves the house. And as she's leaving, she runs into Alexi. Now, they don't have much of an interaction. She kind of runs out the door. But she realizes that she didn't leave the toys behind for Seriosha. So the thing is, when she left, the son was having nightmares because he missed his mom so much. All he dreamt was about her. He was having uh, problems with his lessons. Of course, he was Mm -hmm. um, mentally disturbed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. His mother had left him. So then to see her again kind of throws him back into this. And that's what some people like his dad seem to be trying to avoid. Um, But this is a real heart wrenching scene because. Right. Anna, for some reason, doesn't feel comfortable confiding in Vronsky about her son because he'll tie that to her missing her husband. So Vronsky don't care about the boy at all. He like, we got a baby. (laughs) (laughs) So your old husband who you used to live with is gone. That's another life. And if I'm enough for you, you know, I should be enough. Mm. This book. Her son. Oh, that's crazy. Mm -hmm. Okay, part four. So... After this experience, Anna returns to the hotel where her and Vronsky are staying. But they're they're staying in the same hotel, but in two separate suites. Vronsky is not at the hotel. And again, as Kari said, she's not confiding in him about this situation. But she is emotionally charged. Um, Seeing um, Seriosha has a strong effect on her. And what she realizes is that she will never love her daughter the way she loves Seriosha. (laughs) <laughs> she also begins to have um, feelings that Vronsky is abandoning her to be in society, knowing she can't be in society the same way. And so her, later her aunt stops by and her aunt is known to have a bad reputation. I don't remember if they ever said why, but she has a bad reputation. And she's like, yeah, let's go to the opera. You want to go? I got a ticket. We could go. We could do this. That's what she said. <laughs> so when Vronsky returns to the hotel and learns that Anna's going to the opera, he tries to discourage her from going because he knows the experience is going to be bad. But Anna persists. And Vronsky feels as if she is trying to flaunt her unconventional lifestyle in society. Anna goes and is told by a former friend in the very next box. It's a disgrace to sit next to her. Mm. Yeah. So that, okay, of course, bothers her. She tries to hold her head up, but it bothers her. When she returns to the hotel, her and Vronsky fight about the events as well as her feelings of abandonment. And Vronsky reassures Anna he loves her and wants to do anything for her. So, so Vronsky, Vronsky can still live his life. Yeah. I'm sorry. So society doesn't, um, hasn't turned its back to him, but to her, it has completely turned its back because she is the married party. Yeah. Also, and she's a woman. Uh, yes. Okay. More importantly, it's yeah. because she's a woman. So he can it, have a job, he can be promoted, he can live, and she kind of has to just stay in the house mm-hmm. or else risk the shunning of society. Yep. Which is, which is what's happening. If you recall the friend, um, Bessie, um, his cousin, and who was catering and aiding in the, um, the uh, situation, situation. Mm. she ain't nowhere to be <laughs> in found. the entanglement. That's what the kids say That's now. What they say. The 50 year old kids. Um, they she was aiding in the entanglement, yes. and then she decided, Oh, y'all serious, serious. Uh huh. Y'all gonna like have a family and run off and leave your husbands? I don't agree with this. It's just shameful. It's exactly. one thing to break the law, but you don't break the rules. <laughs> 
And she was like, I can't be seen with y'all. I mean, good grief. I be in society. I'm trying to stay in right. society. Right. Y'all. y'all making it hot for all the adulterers. <laughs> Okay. Terrible. Exactly. So part five, Levin and Kitty are living their best newlywed life. As the good people that they are, they should be. Okay. They ain't sneaking around on each other. They just loving up on each other. It's cute. Okay. But everybody is coming to their house for the summer. What's up with that? I mean, these people are newlyweds. They got a house full of people staying with them for the summer. Dolly and her six kids. She did have another baby. Her children's governess and his friend Varenka, who she met when she went to the spa in Germany. And uh, Kitty's mom is there. And then Levin's brother, Sergei, is there. His other brother. Not the dead one. Not the dead one. The right. very living one. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And Dolly um, is staying there because guess what? That house that she had worked out is actually falling apart. <laughs> Can you believe <laughs> where it was raining inside the house? Yeah. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. falling apart. It's absolutely falling apart. So anyway, Dolly and Kitty try to get Sergey, um, set Sergey up with Varenka. Okay, young girl, older man, another situation. Let's get them Sergei's together. Sergey's the brother. Yes. Okay. Sergey and Varenka do like each other. In fact, Sergey sees in Varenka everything he could wish for in a wife. She's poor and alone, and she won't have a <laughs> bunch of family members coming to visit. But Sergey has a hang up. He lost his girlfriend years ago and he vowed to be faithful to her memory. And I think there's this thing where um, they say he's more spiritual and she's earthly. So he's got all of that. So this <laughs> part. Woo. So one day mm-hmm. they go out and they pick at mushrooms and Sergey visualizes proposing to Varenka. But when the moment comes, Varenka says something and the moment is lost and Varenka and Sergei doesn't propose. It's not her fault though. He was, he was on the brink of proposing and then he decided, nah, I'm good. Yeah. And the thing about Varenka is she's like an orphan who has a humble disposition. Um, everyone who sees her loves her. She, you know, she, she's just, she's strong, but she's so sweet and he's like kind of not sweet at all. And he <laughs> comforts himself in the fact that, well, I had a girl once and she died. So yeah. And so I don't need another. Yeah. And no, it's not that. But he felt like when she said whatever it is, she said that kind of the moment was lost after that. I I thought that was lame. I thought it was just him. But go ahead. It was all lame. He's a weirdo. I was done. I was like, you serious? He's I mean, that is gone. He's not going to propose to her. The moment just came and went. And when the moment was over, there was no reason to propose. (laughs) <laughs> that was weird it was crazy it was yeah. really crazy so you remember steve uh, right oh, the party he ain't no good but he's fun to be around the amiable <laughs> adulterer yeah. yes oh don't say it like that oh judgy that's who he is he's got a great personality but he's cheating on his wife oh wow no and judgment brother. only so run in the family <laughs> yes well He's coming to visit his wife and children, and he's expected to bring Kitty's father. But when he arrives, he brings his friend Veslovsky. And he's actually a cousin of Kitty twice removed. I don't know what that means. I don't know no, what no, that means. People mean. say it all the time. How mm-hmm. can you remove a cousin? Because I have a few I would remove. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. And they removed twice. So somehow you can do that. Figure it out. I don't twice. know. <laughs> 
<laughs> so he introduced Veslovsky is introduced as this excellent fellow and a passionate hunter. Levin is immediately annoyed by him because he really wanted to see the father-in-law. And now you got you got this guy. Who is he anyway? Mm-hmm. And then he sees everybody out there saying hi and whatnot. And they like fake, 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 fake. He was like, I'm sick of these fake people. They fake, fake. And it's like, who was uh, Stevie kissing yesterday anyway? Why he kissing on his wife? Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> this is the gossip. I missed this part. They're gossiping about Steve and his extracurricular activities. This is oh, Levin, Levin all in okay. his mind. He was like, I'm sick of all these fake people. And here's why. Yeah. Um, what's her name? Dolly is fake. <laughs> Steve was, yeah. they're all fake. Anyway, he was sick of them. So he doesn't like the way Vislovsky kisses his wife's hand. Okay. He don't like that. And Levin has this attitude, okay, because he already think everybody fake. And so when everybody comes in the house, he decides he's going to leave at the first opportunity and he doesn't come back around until it's supper time. Later that night, Kitty and Levin discuss his behavior and he admits that he was jealous um, and they make up. And Levin vows to be a bit more welcoming to Veslovsky. The next day, the guys, Levin, Steva and Veslovsky go hunting. Levin does poorly and Veslovsky is getting on his nerves again. And so when they arrive at their sleeping arrangement, Veslovsky decides, hey, y'all, it's too early to go to sleep. Let's get out. We're going to party. So they go down to this uh, local hangout and um, he comes back. Well, anyway, Veslovsky goes down. He checks out the scene and then comes back and gets Steve and says, uh, you know, Steve, you know, you like this kind of stuff. Come on. Steve is like, fine, as long as you don't tell my wife. Levin plans to, <laughs> yes, those things happen. Levin plans to get up early and go shooting the next morning. So he's like, no, I don't want to be bothered with you too. And when he returns from shooting and he feels good because he finally killed some birds. He's like, he killed 19 of them. He's like, y'all, I did great today. I feel much better. I could, I could play with y'all now. But when he gets back, Steve and Veslovsky have eaten all the food all the food. <laughs> Levin is mad again. He is like, they I'm sick of people. Yeah. He is Their so selfishness done. doesn't isn't just restricted to the marital arrangement. Mm-hmm. They're just selfish people. They're just narcissists. selfish. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so they go back home. Levin still don't like Veslovsky's behavior towards his wife. And he decides he's going to chat it up with Kitty and see what's really going on. And he decides. Wait, they go back home? I thought he kicked them out. He goes back home. Yep. He goes back okay. home. And then he decides after talking to his wife, Veslovsky's got to go. Okay. <laughs> he's got to go. So Levin goes to Veslovsky and tells him, you know, um, we harnessed your horses um, and you got to go. <laughs> Levin so said, this is the thing. I love this scene because Levin just thought Veslovsky was being flirty to Levin's wife, to Kitty. Mm-hmm. And Levin was like, look, I don't know why, but that's it. You got to go. I didn't like the way you looked at her. And guess what? I don't have to give you an explanation because this is my house. All of that. All of- yeah, because he started to say, you know, I'm expecting guests. He was like, no, wait a minute. Forget that. Get out. Just go. Just don't ask me why. Just go. This is my house. Get the stepping. Just go. <laughs> Just your horses is ready. I did that for you. You welcome. Bye. Go. Bye. And so Looking everybody in my wife's eyes. Don't nobody know her eyes but me. <laughs> That's right, Levin. You better get these fools out your house looking exactly. at your woman. Exactly. And so all the was yours. Yeah. And although the <laughs> others saw this act of kicking him out with no explanation as disgraceful, Levin was like, so? So what? Get out my house. Get out. Get out. 
On the table lay a piece of a stick they had broken that morning during gymnastics when they had tried to raise the jammed bars. Levin took the piece in his hands and started breaking off the splintered end, not knowing how to begin. I wanted... He fell silent, but suddenly, remembering Kitty and all that had taken place, he said, looking him resolutely in the eye, I've ordered the horses to be harnessed for you. How's that? Vasenka began in surprise. To go where? You are going to the station, Levin said darkly, splintering the end of the stick. Are you leaving or something happened? It happens that I am expecting guests, said Levin, breaking off the splintered ends of the stick more and more quickly with his strong fingers. No, I I am not expecting guests and nothing has happened, but I am asking you to leave. You may explain my discourtesy in any way you'd like. Vasenka drew himself up. I ask you to explain to me, he said with dignity, having understood at last. I cannot explain to you. Levin spoke softly and slowly, trying to hide the quivering of his jaw. But is it is better that you not ask. And as the splintered ends were all broken off, Levin took the thick ends in his fingers, snapped the stick in two, and carefully caught one end as it fell. Probably it was the sight of those nervously tensed arms, those same muscles that he had felt that morning during the gymnastics, and the shining eyes, the soft voice, and quivering jaw that convinced Vasenka more than any words. He shrugged his shoulders and bowed with a contemptuous smile. <laughs> May I see Oblonsky? The shrug of the shoulders and the smile did not annoy Levin. What else can he do, he thought. I'll send him to you presently. What is this senselessness? Said Stepan Arkadyevich on learning from his friend that he was being chased out of the house and finding Levin in the garden where he was strolling, waiting for his guest's departure. Mais c'est ridicule! What fly has bitten you, mais c'est du dernier ridicule! What are you imagining to yourself if a young man... But the place where the fly had bitten Levin was evidently still sore because he turned pale again when Stepan Arkadyevich wanted to explain the reason and hastily interrupted him. Please... Don't explain any reasons. I could not do otherwise. I'm very ashamed before you and before him, but for him, I don't think it will be a great misfortune to leave. While for me and my wife, his presence is disagreeable. But it's insulting to him. Et puis c'est ridicule. And for me, it's both insulting and painful, and I'm not at fault in anything, and there's no need for me to suffer. Well, I never expected this from you. On peut être jaloux, mais à ce point, c'est du dernier ridicule. Levin turned quickly, walked away from him into the depths of the alley and went on pacing back and forth alone. Soon he heard the clatter of the tarantas and through the trees saw Vasenka sitting on some hay as liquid have it. There was no seat on the tarantas in his scotch cap bobbing with the bumps as they rolled down the drive. Later, Levin and Kitty need to go to Moscow to see the doctor and they're going to stay at Moscow because that's where the uh, um, um, the doctor is until the ba- baby is born. Part six. Dolly goes to see Anna. She's riding to Anna. She takes time to reflect on her life, the bondage of motherhood, her unfaithful husband, the family's financial situation. They're living off the kindness of Kitty and Levin. And she's like, how did I get here? She thinks about Anna and deciding, um, Anna deciding to leave her husband. She does, um, and, and Anna making a decision to live her life the way she wants to. She feels like she understands that in Anna and decides she won't reproach her. When she arrives. She's fantasizing about the opportunities, quote unquote opportunities she could have had because she's sick of her cheating husband in a way too. And she's like, if only I had run off with someone else, my life would be better. Mm -hmm. You know, I could abandon these seven children that I love. 
She knows a lot of them. It is. Okay. It's a lot of kids. Um, and she got a newborn too. So um, when she arrives, Anna and Vronsky are out riding. And guess who's with them? Veslovsky. <laughs> he hanging out. He is hanging out. This is the one that Levin literally just threw out of his house. So yep. he came to live off Vronsky and Anna. Vronsky and Anna appear to be living well. I mean, they're doing great. Vronsky is building a high-end hospital for the peasants and has other real estate ventures. And one of his opportunities to talk to Dolly, Vronsky is like, you know, you are like Anna's dearest, dearest friend. Would you convince Anna to request a divorce? Dolly's like, um, okay, sure. <laughs> so he can marry her and she can be back in society and stop nagging him all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, he has goals, right? Um, <laughs> Dolly sees Veslovsky flirting with Anna. So now she's like, hmm, maybe it was a good idea to put him out. When Anna and Dolly talk, Anna feels uh, things are fine the way they are. It just, why? Dolly tells her, Vronsky wants to have a future with you, future children. He wants to be able to leave something to his children and he can't do that the way things are right now. All his children that he has with you are going to be seen as Alexi's children and he doesn't want that. And Vronsky um, wants Anna to be an honorable woman and that would be a divorce so he can marry her. Well, Anna's like, well, I'm not having any more children. The doctor says I can't. Shocking. Shocking. She has not talked to Vronsky about this. Not at all. So she also doesn't think um, Alexi will give her one. She doesn't think her husband is going to give her a divorce. But Dolly oh, her reminds issue is her, her son, right? Like she doesn't want to be even further estranged from her son. Right. Dolly reminds her that one time he did say that he would and you should definitely try. It's worth a try. But again, as Kari said, the issue is just her son. He's willing to give her the divorce. He just... You can't have the child, too. Anna says that um, she can't bring herself to ask Alexi for a divorce. Dolly decides that she was going to stay. Um, originally, her plan was to stay a few days, but I think she changed her mind by the end of the first day. She was sick of those people. Right. And so she heads home the very next day and then reflects on her family more with some more warmth instead of um, how An she An appreciation. Was, mm-hmm, yeah. Thinking of She's no longer envying Anna's position. Right. Part seven, since Anna can't go in society, she reads everything. She learns all about Vronsky's business ventures. She becomes his go-to for information. But Anna hates when Vronsky is away. She hates it. She wants him near her all the time. But again, Vronsky is like, I need to get away. But Vronsky needs to go to Moscow on business. So he also uses his time to get away from Anna and assert his independence. So after being gone for some time, Anna writes to Vronsky asking him to return because their daughter is sick. Vronsky rushes home. And by the time he returns, the baby is fine. Anna used her <laughs> as a pawn. And then yeah. Anna and Vronsky argue about Vronsky being away. They make up and Anna says, OK, I'll ask Alexi for a divorce. OK, I'll do it. I'll do it. Excuse me. Part eight. Levin and Kitty are still in Moscow. They're waiting on the arrival of their child and it seems overdue. Levin is anxious. Uh, Kitty sees Levin is not happy in the city. For one, it's more expensive to live in the city. And two, he just feels better in the country. And then Levin is passing his time at the men's club um, where he sees Vronsky. 
and Steva and his father-in-law. Not good. Not good associates for your husband. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> no, no. And so Mm-mm. Kitty doesn't go out much. At well, actually, she doesn't go out at all. Go out at all. But um, she went to see her grandmother one time, and when she went there, Ronsky was there. And she Ronsky that had broken her heart way back in the day. Right. And she big and pregnant. Big and pregnant. Right. Mm-hmm. And she's able to dress him with controlled emotion. Kitty is pleased by her um, interaction with Vronsky. So she goes home and she tells Levin about the success she has. And Levin decides he will be friendly to Vronsky next time he sees him at the club. So when at the club, Steva tells Vronsky, Levin is my oldest friend and dearest friend. And he wants them to Vronsky and Levin to be friends too. So they have a good time laughing and drinking with Steva. And then Steva says, Levin, come and meet my sister. She's wonderful. So yeah, this fallen woman, my sister, you need to come hang out with her. Yeah. Come on, let's go. Yeah. Cause she's great. <laughs> and, and Levin's like, should I though? Yeah. Okay. Cause why not? Ain't nothing else to do in the city. He don't think Kitty's going to like that at all. Yeah. So he, goes, he goes anyway, because he feels some pressure from Steva. And when they arrive at Anna's home, Levin is immediately enchanted by the portrait taken of Anna. When he finally meets Anna. <laughs> Wait, no. <laughs> Levin walks in the house. And it's this huge portrait on the wall and he just stares at it while everybody else is like getting to know each other, talking, <laughs> like sitting down and his mouth is open. He like, oh, that is the most beautiful photo I ever <laughs> seen in my life. Does this creature even exist? Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's a mess. He is like into it. So when he <laughs> finally meets Anna, he's struck by her sincerity. Her it's beauty. It's the portrait come to life. Her <laughs> intelligence. It, it's just like, Wow, she's like wonderful. He appreciates her conversational ability. She could discuss any topic. <sighs> and she's fine. And she's <laughs> I see why this, why she, uh, this man left everything for her. <laughs> yeah. What a woman, he says, which I thought was a very contemporary saying for <laughs> Tolstoy to <laughs> repeat. What a woman. That's loving. <laughs> yeah, it's loving. <laughs> Looking at Anna. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's he's just captivated by her. Anna, in love with her a little bit. Yes. <laughs> Let's just say it plainly. <laughs> Anna and Levin, they even talk about Anna that, um, supporting this young English girl. Um, and Levin asks her, why aren't you supporting um, the Russian school children? And Anna says, it's because I'm motivated by love. So this later becomes a topic for debate between Vronsky and Anna because he doesn't feel like she loves her child as much as she loves the young English girl. Yeah, that she's been training and taking care of. Mm-hmm. Anna tells Levin to tell Kitty she loves her as before. And if she can't forgive her, um, she wishes that she never forgive her because she'd have to experience her life. And she doesn't want that for her. Steva takes Levin home and Levin tells Kitty he saw Anna. Kitty immediately sees that Levin is in love with Anna and is (laughs) jealous. Okay, she is like, ah, ah. it takes Levin until three o'clock in the morning to calm Kitty. He tells Kitty. I mean, he's know, blushing, talking about her. He's like, he's really enamored of her, he captivated is. by her, as you said. Mm-hmm. It's not true love, of course, right? But he is just mesmerized by Anna. Mm-hmm. He and says, Kitty like, not that woman, no, not that woman. <laughs> and we ain't gonna play no games to pretend this is okay. It is I'm not gonna okay. Cry all night. <laughs> <laughs> he tells Kitty, I look, I really pity her. I just, I really pity her. And then plus that, I was drinking, and you know, she just threw me off guard. So. So that's why, and, and you know, they make up. 
Yeah. <laughs> I think Kitty went into labor that night, though. <laughs> you know, I think Kitty yeah, went into right. labor that night. That stressed her mm-hmm. out. The thought that her husband was in love with the woman that took the man that she wanted to the have. First. So I think that's <laughs> a whole problem anyway. But OK, we'll just move on. <laughs> Le- Kitty is in labor for 22 hours. And Levin mm-hmm. is worried about Kitty's well-being. He wants to alleviate her suffering. He's feeling like she's going to die. He goes to get the doctor. The doctor is like taking his time because he knows these things take a long time. And and Levin is just, you know, he's kind of freaked out. Yeah, Everybody, he's beside himself. Yeah, everyone tells him it's going to be okay. And then Kitty finally um, bursts the sun and Levin doesn't have the love he thought he would have for this child. Hmm. He sees in all the stress that this pink crying creature has caused like him and his mom so he's like yeah yeah this is what it was for this don't even look human (laughs) oh 11 so part nine when Vronsky finally arrives home after hanging out with the men's club he and Anna argue again again she feels as if Levin was warmer to her than Vronsky she tells him that he'd rather be with his friends than with her and she says I'm close to terrible disaster and afraid of myself Part 10. Mm. Steva, you know, our amiable friend. Yes, the party, the walking party. <laughs> is in financial ruins, okay? His situation of he is. He's bad. a walking party. <laughs> I mean, he is out spending money, feeding everybody for dinner, and they house falling apart, okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but he got 10 kids <laughs> and they living with other people, and he's still <laughs> hanging out tough. Yeah. And Dolly yeah. is spending money on women. Yes. Mm-hmm. And Dolly good. Yeah. <laughs> and Dolly is demanding <laughs> control over her own fortune. So somehow she has money in there and she's like refusing to sign off on Steve's debts and his purchases. She's like, I'm done with that. And all his salary is going to household expenses. So Steve decides he's gonna get him another job. A cushy job with a lot of money. Yeah, that's what he so he decides <laughs> Cause that's the problem. Not the way I spend money. No, but no. the job, the job I have, mm-hmm. that's the problem. Yeah. He needs more a money. A lot of people think this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He goes. So he decides he's going to go to Alexi and, you know, ask Lex- Alexi to give him the good word. Put the this good word so in bold. her. This is Alexi. <laughs> Alexi is, as a reminder, this is Anna's husband. So he wants to ask Alexi to put the good word in for him about a job and he wants to talk about his sister's request for a divorce he gotta throw that in, in the, the same side. conversation <laughs> hey brother-in-law can you give me a recommendation and divorce my sister so she can marry her boyfriend <laughs> um but don't forget the recommendation that's the most important thing because I need money because I keep spending it on women, on that women. my wife on women not your children and wife and, and not home. my children oh, definitely not the children right no mm-hmm. not those things why Mm-mm. so um, Alexi says Anna's life cannot interest me at all. Okay, move out, move on. But Alexi tells Steva, "Meet me for dinner, and I'll let you know tomorrow." Okay, come on. So while visiting Alexi, Steva sees Seriosha, her son, their son, mm-hmm. on the mm-hmm. way out, and he asks him if he remembers his mother. And Seriosha says, "I don't remember her," and. If that's something that he set up for himself to protect himself, because as Kari said, he had a really tough time when she left the first time. Yeah. So he lies and says he doesn't remember. And inside he's crumbling mm-hmm. at just the mention of her name. Yeah. Steve uh, later learns that Alexi, along with Countess Lydia, are following this famous French psychic in quotes, psychic. 
He goes to Lydia's home to meet Alexi and finds out this psychic is present. Okay, air quotes. Apparently, <laughs> this guy was at the doctor's office one day and he fell asleep. And in his sleep, he gave out good <laughs> advice to the people that were in there and it went over well. Everybody this part is kind of funny. <laughs> everybody outside of them thinks this is a, a, a fraud. But Alexi and Countess Lydia don't make a decision without him. It's the craziest thing. Mm-hmm. So they're over at his house. He's talking about um, the divorce, right? He's talking about mm-hmm. the, the divorce, he thinks, and the guy is falling asleep. I don't think they're paying attention to um, Steva. They're just trying to get him to share the story so that the quote-unquote psychic could go to sleep and then make a decision the next day. <laughs> <laughs> so the other people are... Um, who else is talking? I think Alex, the psychic, quote-unquote... So. S- and Steva fall asleep. <laughs> I mean, Steva don't even know what he's saying. He feels so uncomfortable being there. And to, just to reemphasize, there's no, you know, spiritism going on here. None. This is not a true psychic. This is a man that talks in his sleep. Yes. So people wait for him to fall asleep and give them good advice. Exactly. <clears throat> it's not good advice. It's nonsense. <laughs> and Steva is like, this borders on like religion and that's gross. <laughs> so I just want to get out of here and go drink somewhere. But I need Alexi to first give me this recommendation and second to divorce my sister. So I'm stuck. And this is the least amount of fun I ever had in my life. Look, wait, but Steve finds an opportune time and jumps up and runs out the house. (laughs) (laughs) It's insane because it's all crazy. And everybody in the neighborhood is talking about them because it's the stupidest thing ever. (laughs) They're like, y'all now followers of this guy? Are you serious? Alexi and his husband and his basically living girlfriend. (laughs) Exactly. Listen, mm-hmm. this is outrageous. Anyway, that scene ends. So <laughs> Steva sends a telegram to France. Oh, actually, the next day, Steva receives a notice from Alexi that there will be no divorce for Anna. Steva then sends a telegram to Vronsky, but he attempts to hide it from Anna. What Steva says in the telegram is that there won't be a divorce, but he feels like he can still keep working on Alexi. Which to, is a lie because Alexi has made up his mind yeah, that it's not going to happen. To try yeah. to change his mind. And, and, and like Harry said, it's not going to happen. Anna and Vronsky, um, Anna, excuse me, after he sends the telegram, um, Vronsky gets it and tries to hide it from Anna. And, and once Anna learns that Alexi says no, she just accepts it. And then Vronsky's relationship is continually fueled by Anna's paranoid behavior and thinking that Vronsky doesn't love her and is involved with another woman. Side note, Vronsky's mom does want to set him up with a young cutie. So mm-hmm. that is a thing. But Vronsky's like, I'm not, I'm not interested. I'm only here for you. Anna's like, I'm like fighting myself to convince myself that these things that I'm telling myself are not true because she does believe that Vronsky loves her, but the paranoia gets the better of her. And she tells Vronsky that they need to go back to the country. Everything will be better when they're there. Vronsky says, fine, but I've got some things I've got to finish up here before my, um, for my mom and my sister, then we can go. I can't go today, but in a few days, but Anna is like more and more miserable as the day goes by and the paranoia is with her every day. Vronsky tries to appease her, but he is tired of the same old fight. So he leaves to go see his mother to handle the business so they can go back. Anna's convinced when he leaves that the relationship is over. And after Vronsky leaves, Anna regrets how she treated him and sends a note of apology. I don't know how she sent it, but maybe a telegram. So she sends that out. Shortly thereafter, she sends out another note telling him to come home now. I think that note arrived first. Yeah, that note arrived first. And then he replies, I can't come home now. I can't. 
Anna leaves the house and plans to say goodbye to Dolly. So she goes by Dolly's house and Kitty happens to be there. Um, and both Kitty, now Kitty don't really want to see her, but eventually she comes down and sees her. Dolly and Kitty, when they see her, they notice that something is off with Anna. Mm-hmm. But Anna heads to the train station. She's expecting that she's going to meet Vronsky there. At the station, though, Anna goes back and forth about Vronsky's love. She's feeling disoriented and she's continued to fight her mind for reasonableness. She you know. And she's under the influence of morphine, I think. She's been oh, taking some type right. of drugs to sleep. That's right. I think it's morphine. So it was morphine. She, she kind of thought she might take her own life with a drug overdose. Right. And she did overdose on drugs, but didn't die. And so it just kind of made her hazy in the head. Mm. And that's the state she's in when she leaves. Okay, that helps. I forgot about that. Mm-hmm. Anna um, finally receives a response. She's at the station and she gets a response from Vronsky. He says, I'm sorry the note didn't find me. I'll be back by 10. This response sends Anna further spiraling. She's determined that she is going to punish Vronsky. And when Vronsky gets home, she won't be there now. And she's walking <laughs> along the platform and she remembers the day that she met Fronsky and the man that died. And she decides what must be done. She wanted to fall under the first carriage, but she was holding this large red bag and it kind of got in the way. But before the second carriage came, she tosses the bag aside, jumps down on the tracks. And just as she realizes um, she land, just as she lands, she's horrified by her actions. She's like, where am I? What am I doing? Why? Why? And suddenly, remembering the man who was run over the day she first met Vronsky, she realized what she must do. With a quick light step, she went down the stairs that led from the water pump to the rails and stopped close to the passing train. She looked at the bottoms of the carriages, at the bolts and chains and the big cast iron wheels of the first carriage slowly rolling by, and tried to estimate by the eye the midpoint between the front and back wheels and the moment when the middle would be in front of her. There. She said to herself, staring into the shadow of the carriage at the sand mixed with coal poured between the sleepers. There, right in the middle, and I'll punish him and be rid of everybody and of myself. And just at the moment when the midpoint between the two wheels came even with her, she threw the red bag aside and drawing her head down between her shoulders, fell on her hands under the carriage. And with a light movement, as if preparing to get up again at once, sank to her knees and in that same instant she was horrified at what she was doing where am i what am i doing why she wanted to rise to throw herself back but something huge and implacable pushed at her head and dragged over her lord forgive me for everything she said feeling the impossibility of any struggle a little music muttering to himself was working over some iron and the candle by the light of which she had been reading the book filled with anxieties deceptions grief and evil flared up brighter than ever lit up for her all that had once been in darkness sputtered grew dim and went out forever and as she realizes she wants to get up she begs for forgiveness and her light is extinguished She's dead, y'all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So she's 
she was walking around the platform disgusted at everyone on the platform, mm-hmm. everyone in the world. When she visits Dolly, she's like, you're all actors. Kitty is smiling in my face, but Kitty knows her husband fell in love with me because I'm exceptional. <laughs> and so I hate Kitty too. And I hate everyone and everyone's just actors and no one's real. And I'm going to take my own life because that's going to prove Devronsky that, you know, he had a good thing and he missed out and I'll get the last word finally. And then she's on those tracks like, hold up, that's crazy. <laughs> But it's too late. Yeah, it's too late. So for me, the book should end here. That should be it. Okay, (gasps) I'm just going to say that. Can you finish your deep dive so we can talk about how wrong you are? Go ahead. Let let me just say that. I'm going to say that. But I'm going to go on. I got a part 11. (laughs) (laughs) 11,000. Man, it's a long book. (laughs) Two months after Anna's death, Sergei, Levin's brother, the living one, sees Vronsky and his mom at the train station. She tells Vronsky that after Anna's death, Vronsky didn't speak for six weeks and ate only when begged to. She had him on a literal suicide watch. She was like, they live on the the first floor, just whatever. I took everything out of the rooms, nothing. She didn't want him to commit suicide. He gave his daughter to Alexi to raise. And in the society of that time, and I think it applies here too, um, that was Alexi's daughter. and, And Alexi had already formed a bond with her, so he was he took her back and raised her as his child. At, right. at this point, he feels he has nothing to live for. So he forms his own group and plans to um, go off and fight in the Serbian war. He says, life has no value to me. Kitty gets caught in a storm with the baby and Levin goes out to look for him, them. And Levin sees this large oak tree that's fallen down. And he thinks um, that Kitty is dead because he was expecting them to be under that um, tree. And when he finds them alive, he realizes that he truly does love his son. The end. No, I'm not going to lie. That's not how it is. I, I, fine. You know what? Yeah. It's your deep dive. Let's talk it's about fine. it later. Okay. Let's take a quick fine. break and we'll come back and talk about it. Okay. Okay. Great. All right. Mm-hmm. Okay. What's your final (laughs) thoughts and would you recommend the book? Or do you want to just talk about the ending and the book and then do that? I feel like we do that anyway with our verdicts. All right. I'll I'll try to make this uh, short because, you know, okay. If you got it. Because based on my opinion and my opinion ain't worth nothing. So this is why I'm going to make it short. So here we go. Okay. So a few things that you did not include about Levin um, is his relationship, his spiritual mind. So all through the book, Levin is kind of midlife because he's like 33. Yep. And he's having this fight within himself as a logical man about spirituality. So while his wife is having this baby and it's, he feels like she's going to die at any moment, he is praying and he is not a man who even believes in God. So he's shocked at his prayer, but in no way does he feel like he's second guessing the act of praying. He also doesn't feel like it's just a superficial comfort. He feels like a child who doesn't ask for food when he's full but when he's hungry, begs for it. Yeah. So he is the person that in that emotional turmoil, he is actually that's when he it's time to talk to God. That's his take yes. on it. So he is a fully he feels like a fully spiritual man he when he is on the brink of like uh, when he's stressed out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Because he feels like he's on the brink of death or his wife is about to die. If we even go back a little further than that to yeah. when they got married and he had to do the, com- I think it was called the communion. And he had to yeah. um, talk to the confession. No, he had to do a confession or something. And he had mm-hmm. to talk to the um, the priest. Priest? He felt like it was ridiculous. He thought it was a ridiculous idea. But the way the priest talked to him um, is something in there that clicked that made his reasoning change just a little bit. Exactly. The priest said, well, when you have children and they ask you, why am I here? What will you tell them? So, of course, you believe in God, basically, is what the priest says. And then Eleven's like, no, I don't, though. (laughs) So (laughs) uh, when Anna is like, seems not Anna. Oh, excuse me. When the Honorable Kitty (laughs) is on seemingly the brink of death, um, Levin um, prays when Kitty makes it out okay and or you know when she's birthed in the the baby you're talking about yeah yeah yeah, exactly and when the child comes to be levin's like well why was it why was i in that moment such a spiritual person it's this battle between like religion and spirituality Mm -hmm. within levin because he doesn't believe in religion and he sees it for all its hypocrisy but he still feels this spiritual connection which as a logical man doesn't gel with him so he's out talking into the talking to his peasants in the field um And before that, Kitty is with the baby and Kitty's looking down at her son and she's thinking about the kind of man she wants him to be. And she goes, your dad is an atheist, but he's a good man. And he's always been led by principle. Whatever you do, be like your dad. Mm -hmm. So Levin is like having a mental breakdown and he's out with his peasants and he's like, why? You know, why? Why? That is the (laughs) question. Why do we exist? Why is life? Why? And the Peasant is like, you know, basically what like there is no why you are um, led by principle and there's no need to ask why. Right. Needs no explanation. Basically, did you need an explanation for falling in love and marrying your wife? Mm -hmm. Do you know some things don't need an explanation? Um, Feeding yourself for to to pacify your hunger and feeding yourself. um, What does he say? There's some expression about doing things for your soul, for yourself. Yes, I remember that. And also because it's right, are one in the same. Mm -hmm. They're one in the same. Um, So you can, you know, there's, there's no, it's not that logic is removed from this, but logic is part of that. um, The existence of faith. All of that is the same. And Levin goes, I get it. I get it. And to your point with the um, tree. So he thinks his wife and his newborn baby are destroyed in like a thunderstorm under a tree. And he prays again. Yep. And it turns out his wife and his um, baby just happened not to be under that tree. But he's like, again, I'm praying. And he thinks about Dolly's massive amount of kids, all the myriads (laughs) of kids that Dolly got. (laughs) And how they're like, okay, you know, they're like well-behaved kids, but her kids are naughty. Her kids are naughty. They're kids, right? They're kids. So they're playing this game where they waste food. Not knowing that they dirt poor. The kids don't know that they, they dirt don't. poor. Mm-hmm. And he's thinking like, but if those kids ever had to do without, they would beg for this food that they're wasting. And that's like me and my relationship with a higher um, power. I don't need it because I don't think about it because I didn't need it. And as soon as I needed it, it's all I can think about. And I have to figure out why. So for me, in conclusion, this book did not end with Anna's death because this is not a book about Anna. This is a book about a life led by impulses and desire versus a life led by like an inner knowing of right and wrong, a life based on principle. And in the end, Steve, who's the walking party and personally my favorite character <laughs> next to Kitty, he's an empty shell of a man. His beautiful sister is dead. He did get the job. He has more money now, but his 
his um it's kind of like when Anna died everyone's secrets felt like are laid out on the table and who you really are is kind of made plain in her death so because his sister died everyone can be like you know I never really liked Steve because you know <laughs> he he and that's why him and his sister end up the way they do uh-huh. she did you know she jumped in front of a train shameful and then Vronsky is like devoting himself to this war and the train is hugely symbolic of like how quickly things change in societies. You know, there's this war between um, Russia and I forget who, but they're de- defending um, the Slavic nation. And, you know, people are like, oh, Ser- Serbian. Right? It's, it's a Serbian, Serbian war. I'm so sorry. Okay, so it's Serbian war. And people are on both sides like, well, why should we defend them? And then some are like, well, of course we defend them. Right. And, and that's just like the progression of kind of like nations and um, world powers and politics and then for Anna and her love to basically be existing on this train it became something she couldn't control and that's like time time you can't control it and I feel like there's something there this passing of time the the symbolism of trains and then um, Levin getting it and getting how this time and spirituality it's it's all like one in the same you, it, it is what it is and you don't um, have to question principle. You don't have to question why right and wrong exists. It, it, it just does. And you make your decisions based on that knowledge. Uh, so the thing is, uh-huh. as you can see, I might be obsessed with this book. I've dreamt about it, as I told yeah, you. Yeah. It has infilter, uh, filtrated my dreams. I um, am going to shut up now because if I don't, I'll just talk about this book for another hour. So to answer your question, yeah, I'd recommend it. It's a good book. <laughs> Anna Karenina is amazing. There you and go. It's, it's amazing. There you uh-huh. go. What about you, Alexis? What do you think of this book? What is your verdict and would you recommend it? So um, just off the top, I love the book. And yes, I would definitely recommend it. But let me just say this. So I felt like I needed to choose um, a theme to run through the story. And and the reason why I say um, it should have ended with Anna's death is because I wasn't focusing so much on those other themes that were in there. I focused primarily on the relationship. So when it ended at Anna, I'm like, well, that's it. And you talked last week about how this book talks about politics, religion, agriculture. It does. And I I couldn't, I couldn't, I didn't feel like I could include all of those things as I told the story, because this would be so long and there's just so much information in there. And these are all his Tolstoy's like beliefs just sitting out there that he is yeah. sharing with us through the, the pages of this book. I think it's wonderfully written. Um, you hear everybody's voice in here. I mean, right on down to the dog when the dog was hunting. I thought I said, wait, is he talking about the dog? <laughs> the dog was, yes, yes, we are in the dog's head as if he is a real person. Yes. Which, you know, I kind of feel that way about animals anyway. <laughs> so I was with it. It was very <laughs> cool to be able to hear the animal's thoughts and everything just seems so real. We even heard Seriosha's thoughts. So every no yeah. one was left out in this book. Everybody had value and they were able to um, we were able to hear their story. I guess Veslovsky, we didn't really need to hear his story. But. Oh, the friend that was flirting with the wife. Yeah, wives. yeah. But yeah. Um, I really liked it. I really, really enjoyed it. It was very detailed. Even the um, sections where um, you talk about something for a really long time, you know, where I, I um, we call them flowery words. I yeah. feel like there was there was it was information building on another story. So it was all valuable to me. So that's a big gripe on Goodreads is that this book is too long because it repeats itself often. And it does, um, but not in the 
you know, this is a red sweater. This sweater is right, red. No. Not in that type of way. It's in this is a red sweater and the wool is harvested from this type of animal or you know what I mean? Like yeah. everything it's repeating. It's giving you more information and a deeper yep. insight into the setting. Yep. So I would yeah. definitely even read this book again. I'm excited to I think sit so, down me too. and watch and focus on a new theme. Yes. And focus on a new theme because I because I, I looked over. Go no, ahead. I'm sorry. I, I was going to say I, I, I couldn't focus <laughs> on all of that. There were like. I Me needed neither. to hurry up and get through this. You know, i am got the time constraints, but there's so much in here. And that whole theme about um, his faith and where he stood with that. Um, and the books, the book his brother wrote that wasn't successful. <laughs> he has spent all Come that on. time. So we didn't even <laughs> talk about that. But Levin has spent so much of the first half focusing on his own book, which he never talks really about in the second half. His brother publishes a book. And his brother is supposed to be a great writer. His brother is And renowned. a philosophical mind. Yes, yes. And nobody even talks about it. They might mention it in his presence to be nice, but it seems no one ever really read it. And don't care, <laughs> and they don't care. So yeah. And that could have been Levin. And he was like, I was, f- I think it was like, you know, this is kind of what his life was supposed to be about this book. Yeah. When Kitty was going to not marry him. <laughs> but then after she married him and he had a real life, he was like, well, this is the only thing I have to focus on. <laughs> so uh, it's a lot. Yeah, it's so much. So I could definitely I'm glad I have the physical book. Um, I think I prefer the physical book over the um, audio recording um, from Audible. It's fine. But I, I think I prefer to read the pages of this book because I don't. I feel like I missed some points listening to the yeah. reading. So I feel you. So how do you feel about Anna at the end? Anna, Anna has some issues. Okay. So are you judgy of Anna or do you feel like, you know, that could be anybody? Absolutely. Could believe it could be anybody. It could every day. Crazy. It could be, be me. Oh, wow. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. <laughs> I absolutely believe it could be anybody. And the, the, the dive into her paranoia is the um, dysfunction of the society in which she lived at that time. Mm. She, yeah, so. The disparities between men's rights and women's mm-hmm. rights. And which is awesome. she wouldn't have throughout. to face any of that if she hadn't abandoned her husband she and son. She wouldn't, but she did. That did happen in this book. And that could be anybody. And I think she was having a bit of a midlife crisis because she sees in Kitty that youth that yep. she lost. Mm-hmm. Anna got married at a very young age to a man 20 Tr- years older than her. Triggers. That acts like a robot. Right. Triggers. She was having triggers. And yeah. thus she was pushed yeah, absolutely. into this uh, crisis of identity, as you spoke about in the theme. And mm-hmm. um, she had to deal with that. Now, she didn't win. She didn't handle mm-hmm. her crisis well. She she um, veered off on a path. But um, yeah, so. That was it, girl. This book was great. And um, I would definitely read it again. I repeat, I would definitely read it again. All right. So that was Anna Karenina part two. What are we reading next week, Alexis? Oh, that's a fine, fine question. I am ready to read it, too. I I think I have my recording for that. Okay. And I will tell you, it is called (laughs) The Sound of Stars by Alicia Dow. Yes. That's right. So uh, thank you for listening to Lit Society. And we'll see you next Thursday where we're going to take a deep dive into the sound of stars. Lit Society is brought to you by Alexis Sanaria and Kari Herrera. Support the cause by leaving a five-star review for our show on Apple Podcasts, along with a comment about why you absolutely love us. We love y'all too. We do. We also want to say thank you for buying up all of our Such a Fun Sage candles. That Yay. collection is depleted. So thank you for your uh, support, Society. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, tell a friend about Lit Society. Visit litsocietypod.com for show notes, this month's book list, and to sign up for our amazing email newsletter. And until next time, 